Welcome to the Platform Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Kundi wright founder and head coach of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, and I'm on a mission to help others build sustainable, healthy habits. I know how hard that can be because I've struggled and succeeded to varying degrees throughout my life, but I've lost over 100 pounds and kept it off for over a decade now. The key for me was discovering my passion for lifting weights and kettlebell sport. On this podcast, we'll talk to athletes, coaches, experts, and everyday people about kettlebells, fitness programming, nutrition, mindset, making an impact, and generally striving to grow and leave a legacy of positive change. Please join me. Right, welcome into this week's episode of the Platform Podcast. My guest today is no one. Uh, I am going to actually be doing a little episode myself, uh, talking about a topic that is really important to me, uh, which I'm going to dig into. It's taking on imposter syndrome. There are a lot of reasons why I care about this topic, which we're going to get into in this episode. But first, I want to make an announcement that I am incredibly excited about. Um, October 9th, here in the Twin Cities, at the Athlete Lab in Little Canada, Minnesota, we're going to be hosting the first ever Twin Cities Kettlebell Invitational. My plan is to have this be an in-person meet, uh, and there may also be options to do it remotely with video submissions of sets if you're unable to travel or un- unwilling to travel or don't feel safe yet. Um, I still have to iron out all the details, iron out some of the logistics, but this is officially part of the IKO World Cup for kettlebell sport. I am really, really excited and honored uh, to be a part of that organization. So thank you to uh, Dennis Vasilev uh, for including me in the calendar. I'm very excited about it. This is my first time hosting an event. Uh, I've obviously attended a lot of kettlebell competitions, uh, but this will be my first time organizing one and and putting it on myself. So I am really, really excited about it. I hope um, many of you can come. Uh, there are so many people that I have met through recording this podcast that I didn't know prior, um, and I haven't yet had the opportunity to meet you in person. I am incredibly excited for that opportunity. I hope that you can make it out. It's going to be a great event. It's going to be so much fun. I know with all of us having been pent up in quarantine or social distancing, uh, we're all feeling the need for community and feeling the need to uh, get in front of people and give people hugs and cheer people on, feel the energy in the room. Uh, I can't wait. I am so excited. I hope you'll join me. Um, As soon as I have more details, I will let you know. I'll get a registration link uh, up soon. We'll figure out sponsors and and all of those things. If you're interested in being a sponsor, please reach out to me, uh, TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Yeah. So I'm incredibly excited about that opportunity. So thank you again to Dennis and the IKO for uh, accepting my application. I cannot wait to see as many of you in person as possible in uh, happy and safe lifting. 
All right, so without further ado, I'm going to get into this topic. And I have to be honest, uh, I don't usually get nervous recording this podcast. Maybe the first couple I did, but uh, at this point, I don't really get nervous uh, anymore for recording these podcasts, especially when I'm interviewing people. I just, I just get excited because I love talking to other people. I'm pretty fucking nervous about this topic. Um, I'm, I'm nervous to put myself out there this much, honestly, is why. I, I'm, I'm nervous about getting into the topic of imposter syndrome uh, because it's going to require a pretty high level of vulnerability on my part. Um, but I feel it's really, really important, and it's something that I'm trying to work on uh, this year, especially, and, uh, it's part of my goals, uh, to, to really take my coaching to the next level. And in order to do that, you have to be willing to take action steps, uh, that are uncomfortable. You have to get outside of your comfort zone and, and talk about things that are not necessarily comfortable for you and do things that are not necessarily comfortable for you. So, uh, for me personally, this one is going to be uh, a little bit challenging. I'm going to get into a little bit more about, my own personal psychology and some of my background. Um, but I feel that it's important to do that. So I hope that you'll give me some grace and, um, I, and I trust that, uh, I'm not the only one going through this, which is, which is why, uh, I'm okay talking about this and sharing some of these things. Uh, and if you have questions, you know, feel free to, to hit me up on social media or hit me up, uh, on email. Um, and I'll, I'll give you as much detail as you want. I'm, I'm pretty transparent about my life and about my background. Um, but this is, this is going a, a level deeper in talking about some, you know, some, some other things, uh, that I've gone through in my life. So, um, but first let's just start with a working definition. Um, what is imposter syndrome? It's a term that you hear thrown around a lot, um, depending on, you know, the circles that you run in, people kind of have a different interpretation of it, but, but really what imposter syndrome is, uh, is this, the feeling that you're not as competent as people perceive you to be, or that you don't belong, uh, that it's only a matter of time until you're found out or that you're exposed. Uh, you feel like a fraud, uh, and it's, it's incredibly, incredibly challenging to deal with that feeling. Uh, it, it's particular, it, it happens a lot of times for almost everybody when they transition to something new or scary, um, which is probably part of the reason I've dealt with it a lot in my life. I moved a ton when I was a kid. I think I moved about a dozen times growing up. So I was always the new kid. Uh, and you always kind of feel like you don't belong when you're the new kid. So I think that probably has some, some of the reason why I've dealt with this a lot in my life, but it, it's also something that a lot of really successful people have have dealt with uh Maya Angelou talks about how talked about how she's published 11 books and every time she put one out she thought uh this is going to be the time they find me out I've been running a game and fooling all these people all this time and this this is the one where they're going to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing um so even even people that uh are incredibly successful and and have uh you know a track record of success in their field uh deal with this this phenomenon of of impossible syndrome of, of never feeling like you really truly belong and that it's only a matter of time before you're found out. Um, you know, from a, from a psychological standpoint, it's linked pretty strongly to, uh, the traits of perfectionism, uh, anxiety, high performance, uh, high self-monitoring, 
uh, as well as like, so there are a lot of social aspects to it as well. If you had incredibly demanding parents, um, or you had very high expectations uh, of your performance, even it doesn't have to necessarily be from parents. It can be from coaches. It can be from mentors. Um, so if you throughout your life had, had incredibly high expectations placed upon you that you felt, uh, you may not be able to live up to, it can, it can become uh, a part of your identity. Um, so it's, it's really linked to a lot of, a lot of things and, the the analogy that I like to use for for my own imposter syndrome is it's it's the internet troll in my head. Um, if you've ever been on a message board or on Instagram or you know Reddit or whatever, and you've ex- experienced somebody that is going to point out only negative things and it is that only there to invalidate how you're feeling or to try and argue with uh the point that you're trying to make or just to get a rise out of you uh you know those internet trolls that's that's what i feel like imposter syndrome is for me it's the internet troll in my head and it's giving me all of the potential attacks that may come my way. And that's really what imposter syndrome's function is, you know, from a psychological standpoint. It's it's actually a really kind of ingenious way that your brain tries to keep you from taking risks. Because our 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 brain's primary function is to keep us safe and alive. Uh, so one of the things that it does to, to keep you safe is to try and convince you to not take risks. But now in modern society, there are very few risks that would actually kill us. So our brain has still adapted this mechanism that maybe helped keep us from taking unnecessary risks or dangerous risks when we were cavemen. Um, but now it, it keeps us from taking risks, like taking that new job that you, that you really want to go after or, um, changing careers or, uh, doing that, doing that 5k that you, that you want to do, signing up for your first kettlebell competition, uh, posting a, a post on social media in a bathing suit, uh, right? It's, it, it can be as simple as, as those little things, or even just posting a picture on social media, period, because you're afraid that there's somebody is going to look at that picture and notice, oh God, I have love handles or I have a double chin or, oh, I don't like the way my hair looks or whatever. I mean, it's all of these things that our brain synthesizes to tell us. And it does it in anticipation of any negative response we might get as a protective mechanism to keep us from taking risks. The problem with that is there's a trade-off for that psychological safety. The trade-off for that psychological safety is we stay in our comfort zones. And in our comfort zones, we don't grow. We don't develop. You don't become better by listening to your imposter syndrome, right? It doesn't, it doesn't help you achieve any of the things that you truly want in your life. It just is designed to keep you feeling inadequate and to keep you from taking on risks. And sometimes those risks are things that you probably should do. And if you take on that imposter syndrome and uh, look it in the eye and do the thing anyways, oftentimes my experience has been that you find that the imposter syndrome wasn't valid um, and you feel better 
having done the thing that you wanted to do. You, some of the most fulfilling things in your life uh, can come when you're willing to take on a risk, take on a new role. Those are the exciting things in life. Those, ch- those big changes, those big scary changes are oftentimes the things that are, are most, uh, most fulfilling and rewarding. You know, so it's, it's an incredibly important thing to do. Um, you know, for me personally, imposter syndrome has been, a kind of a constant presence in my life, um, for as long as I can remember. And I think that goes back to, you know, being a fat kid. <laughs> and I've talked about that before. I was a, I was a short chubby kid. Uh, I got made fun of a lot in school. Um, especially, especially like in middle school, again, being the new kid at a new school, you tend to get, you tend to get teased for anything. So it's especially easy when you're like four feet tall and three feet wide to, to be made fun of. Um, you know, so I got, I got a lot of that, um, growing up, especially about my body and about my size. Um, I got it from my, from my brothers too. I mean, you know, siblings can be cruel sometimes, you know, um, we, we tend to pick on each other. So, um, uh, you know, I have great relationships with my brothers now, but you know, um, that in combination with getting made fun of in school, you know, led to feelings of shame and inadequacy, uh, that led me to develop, you know, disordered eating behavior when I was in middle school. Um, you know, which also kind of in, ingrained itself into like this binge shame, uh, pattern, which is obviously not a a good way to deal with feelings of shame and inadequacy. Um, you know, binging and purging doesn't help (laughs) you. You feel out of control and feel deep shame for binging. And then you purge to get rid of that feeling of shame and inadequacy. And then the cycle repeats itself. You know, I had to do, uh, I had to do some work on, on that, uh, feeling in order to not, do those, uh, self-destructive behaviors, you know, and that, that's a, that's a a tricky thing to, that's a tricky thing to do. And it's still something that I, I deal with, you know, regularly, even now, not with food so much as, as other areas of my life, the, the shame, the shame response is very, very strong. That's a really hard thing to overcome. It's something that I've, I've had therapy for and that I, that I'm working through and that I continue to work on. Um, but one of the easiest ways that I found, you know, uh, and, and, and a much less maladaptive coping mechanism for me was achievement. And I really went after, uh, achieving things to make, to make me feel worthy and to make me feel adequate. Um, you know, so, you know, I got made fun of for being big and being fat. So I kind of leaned into that come high school. I decided that I was, if I was going to be made fun of for being big, I was going to be big and I was going to be big and strong, not just big and fat. I, I leaned into being big and I got myself in the weight room. And that's really where I started to fall in love with lifting weights and strength training was, was in early high school. Uh, because I, I decided that if I was going to be a, the big guy, uh, I was going to be the big, strong guy. Um, but what I never really, what I never really admitted to myself or anyone else is I didn't want to be, uh, I didn't want to be the big guy. Um, I'll probably always be a bigger guy just because of my frame. Um, but I didn't want to be big and fat. I, I, I didn't want to be an offensive lineman. My, my coaches pushed me to be an offensive lineman. Um, 
you know, I, I probably could have gone a different direction. I, I had played running back when I was in junior tackle. You know, I was a decent athlete. I probably could have, I probably could have pushed back and gone a different direction if I would have decided rather than getting big and strong that I was just going to get strong and that I was really going to stay lean and get really lean and try and get faster and stay smaller. I probably could have done that, or I still could have played offensive line, but been leaner. But instead I just leaned into the idea of, uh, I'm going to be big. So I, I put on, you know, 60, 70 pounds between my sophomore year and my junior year and really, really became a very, a very big, big guy. I ended up going to college as an offensive lineman, um, you know, playing, playing college football as an offensive lineman. And then college, I, I got even, I got even bigger. So, you know, I kind of, I leaned into that identity of being the big guy, even though it wasn't who I wanted to be. Uh, but it, it made me feel not like a fraud because it was, you know, that's how everybody saw me anyways. They were telling me I'm the big guy. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the big strong guy. So I leaned into that and I made myself, I made myself bigger and stronger because that's what made me feel more congruent with how people perceived me. It made me feel less like a fraud, but it still didn't take away the feeling of, of inadequacy, inadequacy and shame. Uh, a lot of times, you know, cause I still felt fat. I still felt shame taking my shirt off. I still got made fun of taking my shirt off. Uh, even in high school when I was, when I was breaking the school's weightlifting records, you know, um, I, I still would get made fun of if I took off my shirt, uh, you know, in, in strength and conditioning drills, you know? So, I, I never, I never didn't have that, that presence, uh, in my head. I never didn't have that, that, you know, internet troll. This is back just when the internet was just becoming a thing, but I, I never didn't have that inner voice critic in my head telling me that, that I was the fat kid telling me that I was, uh, you know, that I was too, too big, too fat, you know? So even with that, I, I, I never got away from that. So, you know, I, I had to figure out, other identities to, to really lean into that, that made me feel less like a fraud. So achievement became such a big thing for me. That's where the kind of the obsession with being the strongest guy in my high school came from, uh, you know, and then in, in college, even, uh, I, I leaned into being the life of the party. I have a big personality. That's probably not a surprise to, to anybody that knows me, but I leaned into that. I leaned into being, to being over the top, to being, uh, to being the loud, boisterous, fun guy, the guy that busted out the beer bong, the guy that, you know, would drink an entire bottle of whiskey before we went to the bar. Um, you know, everything was, everything was over the top. Everything was too much. I, I leaned into that identity because it, it masked feeling like a fraud that felt less fraudulent because that's how people already saw me. They saw me as the life of the party. They saw me as the fun guy. So I leaned into that identity, you know, so we, we build these narratives and we build these identities that, that can help us feel like not a fraud. Um, because, because it helps us, it helps us diminish that imposter syndrome a little bit, but you know, all of the, the ways that I'm talking about, I did it in, in really maladaptive ways. I did it in ways that really did damage to me, uh, physically as well as mentally. And at some point, those things, those things come home to roost, you know, and it, being the life of the party, 
um, means that you're drinking a lot. And when you're drinking a lot, you're going to gain weight. So, you know, I, I gained a lot of weight, especially once I stopped playing football. Um, you know, and this, that's kind of where my, my journey to being a, a really fat guy came, came in was, you know, after, after college, you know, I got really, really big because I was still the life of the party and I was still drinking and smoking and partying, and, you know, doing all of those things that, that were in line with that, narrative I had, I had built in my head. And, and then when I decided I was going to get healthy because I wanted to lose a bunch of weight, um, for my wedding. And I, I was, I was able to do that pretty successfully. Um, but it, it still didn't, it still didn't go away. Uh, and then of course to make, to make it even, even more fun, uh, I, I got laid off from my job and decided I was going to transition into a new career. Well, I was I was really passionate about health and fitness, and I was really passionate about what I was doing with my life. And I decided I was going to go become a personal trainer at Lifetime Fitness. And you want to talk about some imposter syndrome walking into a gym and being a personal trainer when uh, you know not even a year ago you were. Uh, 370 pounds, you know, round, roundabout. Um, that was pretty hard. I mean, the first, when I first uh, started being a personal trainer, I was probably still pretty close to 300 pounds when I went in for my interview. Um, you know, and I, I proceeded to, I proceeded to lose weight while I was being a personal trainer at Lifetime Fitness, but man, did I battle that imposter syndrome every day. I found it really, really hard, uh, to feel like I belonged as a personal trainer and as a, and as a coach, I, I found that really, really hard because how was I going to tell people how they could improve their health when, you know, I, I had been so unhealthy, even though I, at that point I had already lost 70 pounds. I, I, had, I had lost a lot of weight. I had lost more weight than a lot of people, uh, would ever, would ever lose in their life. But I still didn't feel like I, I knew enough or that I, that I had a valid perspective to, to give to people and that they were going to see right through me. Right. Nobody was going to hire a fat personal trainer. Like, Oh, you're still a fat kid. You're a fat guy. You're a fat personal trainer. Like nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna hire you. <laughs> um, which, which wasn't true. Uh, it, it really wasn't true because, um, it didn't stop me from, from getting clients. And part of the reason it didn't stop me from getting clients is I had, excellent support around me and people telling me, uh, that I had a valid perspective and that, you know, because I, I, I looked like a normal, you know, quote unquote, normal person, or I looked like a real person, uh, that there would be people who wouldn't be intimidated by me. And when they got to know me and understood my story and got to hear my knowledge that they would, they would definitely want to hire me because they could identify with me and because they could relate to me and because I could relate to them and understand their struggles and bring perspective, uh, as someone who has struggled and gone through a lot of these things. Um, but at the time it was, it was very much a battle for me, um, to, to not feel like a fraud. And, and even today, to this day, I still struggle with that as a, as a fitness coach, as a, as a kettlebell coach, as a nutrition coach. Um, it's part of the reason I have like, shit, I don't even know, 12 certifications, something like that. Um, that is part of the reason, because especially early on in my career, I felt like the only way I could I could uh, justify my existence in the space was to credentialize myself and to really know more than most people and to be able to be a, a top level 
uh, academic, you know, in, in the space and to really wow people with my knowledge, which isn't a bad thing. Um, obviously it's good to pursue knowledge. It's good to know things. It's good to have certifications, especially if you're going to give people guidance. Um, but it didn't change the fact that that was, uh, a lot of times, uh, pursuing those things as a way to credentialize myself and try and achieve my way out of my imposter syndrome, um, which is, again, not maladaptive, but I wasn't dealing with the root cause, which was that I didn't feel like I was enough. I didn't feel like I belonged. But the the good thing is, is that I didn't let it stop me from taking action. And that's really, I think, the, the, one of the key, one of the key steps to taking on imposter syndrome, right? If, if you've dealt with this or you're dealing with this, you can overcome it. It's, it's not something that has to be paralyzing. It doesn't have to stop you from pursuing your goals. It doesn't have to stop you from putting yourself out there. Um, it's, it's really important uh, that you don't let it do that because otherwise then the internet troll in your head wins the battle and you don't get the life that you want. And it holds you back from achieving the things that you, that you want and you, that, you know, uh, you know, bring you validation and bring you the rich life experience that you, that you really want. So, you know, a, a few tips that I have, uh, from my experience in, in battling this, and I'm trying to live them right now. I'm 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 dealing with it. I'm dealing with them now as I move forward in 2021. I'm continuing to take this on. It's it's really my it's really my number one priority for 2021 is mastery of self. I'm really trying to master my own mind to really focus on. Uh, dealing with root cause issues of some of the things that have that I've struggled with. That's part of the reason I decided to do the dry January. Um, I decided that that my relationship with alcohol was probably still a problem for me. And I, especially as I went through the pandemic, I was finding more and more that it was kind of a slippery slope that was hard for me to deal with, uh, especially when I was stressed out. So I need to deal with that, and I'm working on that. And thus far, you know, you know, knock on wood, everything's gone really well. I've had a successful dry. January so far. Um, I haven't had any alcohol this month. Um, you know, and we're recording this on uh, Tuesday, January 18th. Um, so, so far so good. I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy and proud of that. And I'm continuing to do that work, right? So I, I think it's important that you take action. Uh, you can't think yourself out of imposter syndrome. That, I think that's probably the most important thing. Um, do something about how you're feeling. You're only going to, you're only going to feel less and less that way by taking action that your brain is trying to prevent you from taking. It's probably doing that because it's something that you really want and it's something that's scary. Um, so do it. You don't have to go all in and, and go crazy with it. I'm not saying go quit your job and, you know, open up a head shop if that's what you, you know, because that's what you've always felt like doing. I'm take baby steps, right? Start, start small. Um, but do something. Taking action is really, I think the only way you can, you can overcome imposter syndrome. That's part of the reason I'm recording this, this podcast episode, um, because I'm, I'm taking action, uh, by, by confronting some of the things that I, that I've been feeling, some of the things that I, that I continue to, to battle with. Right. Um, 
And I think that's another, another important thing to do is, is share your feelings. Um, don't internalize them, even, even if it's just capturing them in a journal. But I, I really think sharing them with someone, your, your partner, your friend, uh, your therapist, right? Sharing your feelings and letting people know that like, I feel like a fraud sometimes, or I, you know, I'm feeling like a fraud because of this, right? I feel like I don't belong here. Uh, whatever it is that you're feeling, getting those outside of yourself and getting those externalizing it, making it real, bringing it into the world, admitting it, uh, I think is a huge step in the right direction, you know? Um, and you'll get feedback on them. You know, and that's, that's important too, even though I know sometimes getting that feedback and achievement and validate external validation can actually feel even more reinforcing of the imposter thing, but you can also look at it as, as objective data, right? It's, it's not inside your own head. If you tell somebody that you feel like a fraud at a particular thing and then they'll tell you like, what are you talking about? You're excellent. Like you're really good at what you do. The their perspective is probably more valid than your own because I feel like we're always our own worst critics. Um, so take that feedback as external, as external feedback. You don't have to take it as, as the gospel, right? But you can take that as a piece of feedback that, oh, well, maybe, maybe my feelings on this aren't as valid as I thought. So like assess how you're feeling and, and, and use the feedback that you get as, as data points to assess how you're feeling. Um, I would also say, and this, this probably isn't going to be a, a super popular point, but, um, sometimes we feel like an imposter, uh, because we have gaps that we need to address. So sometimes the feeling can be valid. You know, if, if you, if you are in a position where you're, you suddenly got a, a promotion and it requires that you have skills that you don't have currently, you can very much feel like a fraud and it's only a matter of time before you get discovered. Well, there's kind of two choices then if that's the case, right? You, you can assess that the gaps are real and do nothing about it and try and hide it and hope that and hope that you don't ever get discovered or that those skills don't cost you your, your new gig, or you can get to work on addressing those gaps, right? You can decide that, okay, that, that is valid and I'm going to do something about it. Um, that's where I'm kind of at with my own personal journey, as far as, um, you know, losing weight, losing body fat, looking the part and, and being, a better example of having the right body composition for somebody who's um, coaching other people on how they can transform their body composition. Even though I've delivered excellent results for a lot of clients, I've helped a lot of people. I know that my methodology works. I know that I know that the approach that I take works for people that that follow it. Um, but. <laughs> I, I haven't followed my own, my own advice, uh, to the same level that some of my clients have. Some of my clients have gotten better results than I have because, you know, it's hard to coach yourself for one, but, um, I know that I need to take my medicine a little bit and, and do some of the things that I'm coaching other people to do. And so that's, that's part of, that's part of this process for me as well. Um, I'm putting myself out there that I'm, I'm committing myself to, uh, improving my own body composition and, and leading from the front and living congruently with, 
uh, the values that I'm that I'm espousing and and what I'm telling everybody that they can do. Uh, I want to be an example of that. So, um, I've I've assessed uh, a gap that I feel like uh, isn't necessarily imposter syndrome. It's it maybe there there is some validity to it. Um, I want to look I want to look healthier. I want to look the part better. So, um, I'm I'm gonna do that. Um, I think it's also important that you're that you're mindful that you're f- about your feelings and that you it's okay to just sit with the feeling observe it identify that you're feeling like a fraud or that you're feeling you know uncertain and then you can you can look at it from a third party perspective or try and get outside of yourself and say is that a valid feeling am i really not a good whatever parent. Um, you know, if you feel you can have days where you feel like you're a terrible parent or you're a terrible spouse or a terrible employee, uh, you know, identify that feeling and observe it and then try and step outside of yourself and objectively assess. Is that a valid assessment or is that just a feeling that I have right now in this moment? Am I actually not a good parent? Most likely the answer is no, that's not a valid feeling. It's probably a cognitive distortion. It's probably your brain, uh, amplifying negative feelings, you know, but if you step out of it and you, and you feel like that, that there is some validity to that, that can hurt, but that can also be super, super informative if you feel like you're, you're not showing up as a parent the way that you need to, well, what are you going to do to change it? Right? So assess whether or not how you're feeling is valid. And if it's not, and it's a cognitive distortion, recognize that and then move past it. But if you recognize there is some validity behind it, you can, you can identify action steps that you want to take to improve how you're doing and move past that imposter syndrome or move past that negative feeling. So, oh, well, <laughs> anyways, I've been rambling now for, you know, over 30 minutes. Um, I don't have another person here to bounce ideas off of or, or talk to about this, uh, this phenomenon. This was really me externally processing some things that I'm going through and hoping that I could distill this into something that might be helpful and useful for other people. So if you're going through these types of feelings yourself, or you've dealt with imposter syndrome, or if, if you have tips for me on how I can, on how I can deal with it better, um, or you've dealt with it, or you have expertise in it, please share them. Um, I am always open to learning and I'm always open to other people's perspectives, but, uh, I really hope that this was helpful for you you know, just make sure that you're not letting the internet troll in your head win. Don't listen to internet trolls in your head. Don't listen to internet trolls on the internet either, for that matter. (laughs) Don't let the trolls win. Let's, let's be positive, um, and, and really be kind to ourselves, challenge ourselves, push yourself and, and, really go after the life that you want. Assess what that looks like for you and don't let a narrative that's built up in your head about who or what you are or what you think you are stop you from becoming who you want to be. Because 
we can all become better versions of ourselves. but it requires getting outside of our comfort zone. It requires assessing where we're at objectively, sometimes painfully going through those uncomfortable moments. Um, this was uncomfortable for me. <laughs> I hope it wasn't too uncomfortable for you, but this was uncomfortable for me, but I feel better on the backside for having done it, for, for having recorded this. And, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there, uh, tomorrow morning, you know? So, and I feel, I feel better for having done it. It's, probably not my best episode. I'm sure y'all can't wait for me to get back to interviewing other people. Um, and I definitely am going to do that, but I'm also going to try and do a little bit more of, of these types of podcasts as well, where I'm, I'm talking about topics and they're not always going to be about me or things that I'm struggling with. But, uh, as I am going through the journey, uh, I am going to do some more educational content about, uh, changing body composition and changing habits and, uh, the things that are working well for me or things that I'm struggling with, um, you know, et cetera, as well as doing, you know, continuing to do interviews with, uh, experts in their field and with real people, uh, that are going through the same things that are trying to, trying to improve their lives, trying to improve themselves. Um, really trying to live the, live the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club motto, uh, Vox Eller De, grow or die, right? So we're either improving or we're degrading. So, uh, nothing is ever static. So let's really focus on, on growing. Thank you very much. I hope this was helpful for you and please give me feedback. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Give me any tips that you have. If you want to join me in this journey, um, reach out to me. Um, I'm happy to help in any way that I can. I'm happy to serve. Uh, thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Platform Podcast. I'm Jordan Kundi Wright. If you have a question, please email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub, on Twitter at TCKBClub, online at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com, and please help us grow our reach and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.